0: It's really about me challenging myself. I think my excitement in in doing music is me feeling like uh, I'm never stagnant. Me feeling like um, I didn't get comfortable in, in, you know, my own skin of what I think is good or what someone else thinks is good. You know, stepping outside of my comfort zone and, and mastering it, you know? And that excites me when I feel like I've accomplished that it just
1: keeps the the, the the hunger for more going. Like, I don't feel I can ever stop. Do you ever consider, so when you think about the challenge to yourself, do you ever consider the listener or who's gonna, like the audience at all, or is it more like just self-expression?
0: How uh, do you describe it? I used to, I used to consider um, the listener, but now I'm in a space where if I'm not inspired, I can't really,
1: you know, do the music. You know, I can't feel it.
0: Hello and welcome to a new episode of Don't Let The Stands. You are here today with your host, Nicholas Terrell.
2: And Shopper.
0: Yeah, we're without Eden today. It feels weird, me introducing the show. Very weird. I didn't know how it would feel doing someone else's part until... It happened, do you know what I mean? Like, when I was away, Sharpay said it felt weird doing the news and all that kind of stuff. I just didn't know how weird that intro would sound. So, sorry guys, it sounded a bit forced. But, um yeah, Eden is away. He's taking some holiday time this week. I think we've all now taken a week off this this season which is just showing how much our lives are so much busier with this pandemic and everything. Um the working from home, the separation between work and home and all of that and getting true peace. So when Eden said he needed a break this week, we were just like, yeah, go for it. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, this week ironically, I mean I'm gearing up for some projects to end the year off, some final projects, but I'm feeling good. Um the sun's been out more, it hasn't rained as much and work has been quite chill um so i've had time to just recuperate gain my energy back and just prepare for some future projects that are coming up so i've been okay actually i think i've sound the most energetic i have this season <laughs> so and we've got a guest today which will be cool too um but shoppe wanted to ask you how you feel and i just want to say before you even get into it you know what's coming um c- cun- <laughs> fucking congratulations mate he has helped get the first ever uk drill leaning album to the top of the charts yes it is heady one yes it is edna um he was photographed with his um at his mum's um graveside with the number one plaque yesterday um from official charts company so i'm so happy he got the number one album i believe like nine songs from the album which is basically half the album is within the uk official singles charts as well so that is amazing um i just want to say Shopping. No, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> We're not done. Shoppe has secured the likes of Noisy, Vice, um, GQ, which came out last week. The Times um, for him that came out today, but it's going to be a few days before. So it's going to be Saturday. It came out today um, and he has secured him a plethora of other campaigns there are some still to come so stay tuned on that all things Hedy one, but um yes shoppe shoppe <laughs> shoppe has killed it i got the chance oh, i got the chance to work with shoppe in a little bit of this just for his bio to use in the PR space. but um it was great to meet Hedy. it was great to meet shoppe and just see shoppe in his element working as a great publicist as he is um, as I've always said on the show in passing in jest he is about to be like well he is now you know it's a part of UK history the 2020s um he is ascending to be one of the most um, important PR faces um, oh in <laughs> the UK all right so we're gonna no. give we're gonna give people their flowers and you need to go and check his posts on Instagram and Twitter okay they were posted on Saturday what's the date the 17th. Go and fucking like, go and post your stories, go and give someone their flowers. So, Shohei, before I ask you how you are, Good fucking congratulations. Number one, all right, it's lit. Um, I think there was like 300 copies when I f- physical copies between Hedy and the others in the race. We're not gonna name yes. we're not gonna name them because yes. Hedy's the only one we'll talk about today. But yes, um Princess Cuts, as we were just talking about before the show, is addictive as hell. Um, obviously people know I love avoiding and Dolls So if You Pay Me is something I'm playing a lot of Um, Edna, the, um, actual tribute to Edna The album intro I just, I'm loving it all to be honest Such good, such a good visual package And, um, audio package And so well rolled out Um, so congrats to Shopey for getting the coverage Um, and convincing Hedy to do some of that coverage So it's, it's completely, completely, completely Not missed your role in this so how are you and how do you feel to be number one because you are a part of this just like with a grammy win or whatever every part of the team is important in the cog and i do think Hedy will win some awards off of this so get prepared to be happy again but um how are you how are you and how how's this week been trying to monitor your campaign before it got to number one
2: um well first and foremost uh thank you very much for all those wonderful kind words that you just spoke now and everything you tweeted yesterday and on instagram nick has kind of been like the number one gas man and the number one hype man since it was announced that Hedy was number one It's it's lit um So I think I think only now, like I think it was only like last night and this morning, where it was really setting in that not only is heading number one, but like I can actually say I contributed to that success. Obviously, it wasn't just me. There's you know there's the label, there's the A&R, there's the marketing, there's management, there's other, there's radio. We've all done an amazing job, you know, being on on the emails with them every day and seeing all the work the individual departments are doing. I relentless. So like shout out to the whole team are relentless they've like killed it from the statue stuff like the campaign's Mm -hmm. been sneakers and stuff like it's been amazing but like it's just kind of really surreal and mad and very just strange to say that work i've done ideas i've put together uh work i've put in has contributed to an album that not only has charted but, but is number one like like a number one album like so many You know, so many artists have number one albums, but something that I've been a part of, like, you know, I've worked with great artists before, but they've never had number one album. And, you know, he's had like three top 10 singles this year that once again, I've been a part of, you know, publicizing and putting out to the world. And that's very So I think it's really just now sinking in. And I think now I'm like really like aghast about it. I think before... I was just like very much doing the work because there were deadlines, there were things to send, there were things to do, things to sort out, especially with that picture for Mister shots. That was, that was stress, the girl. Um And even just this week, like making sure that the interviews ran. So like, I was very happy with the GQ cover like that, I, that. I'm very, very, very happy with that. Like the GQ magazine feature and a cover at that. Um, and then now the Times Magazine has run We've had amazing reviews from like The Telegraph, The Guardian, Observing Review, Enemy, Clash, The Face, uh, Loud and Quiet, Trench. Shout out to Yemi. I can go on. <laughs> I, <it's, laughs> I think now I'm, I'm just now like, i was now just thinking like, wow, now I'm gassed. So it, the way everyone felt yesterday, that's me now. I think before I was just doing the work because there was still shit to be done while everyone was like celebrating the announcement that I was still working. <laughs> um... But Yeah no it's just honestly it's amazing i never thought that this is what the year would bring for me you know i've been working Kim since like february um and yeah he knows what you know the rest of you know his career will bring and even if i don't work with him never again i w- i can always say that i was humbly speaking a pivotal part in his crossover to the mainstream so
0: i think you just need to consider that this I, I mean I speak about it all the time But like and there's a piece that Chopin Knows about that's coming which Will show great homage to this But um, there is We are in a British rap Golden age right now like there's so many things winning at once. There's like Afro Swing, there's Drill, There's Gr- Grime has been a mainstay for like years now, but um, there are so many different styles of rap. Shay Lingo and Koji, they deserve way more visibility, but they linked up, you know, doing important things for the alter- alternative hip hop scene. And I think that you being a part of the first, I just think you need to realize the cultural impact here, like beyond Teddy, like this is the first number one Drill album, in the country like this is important in the us i don't um except for pop smoke we have not seen a similar feat you know what i mean and it's like globally there's so much happening with the new york and uk relationship and synergy this is so important in that canon and just in the canon of trill being a chicago offshoot to now evolving over here and like um from um new york as well bobby schmurder early days as well and then coming pop and then Heady over here, K-Trap, all of this, like, it's just so important. And I think definitely take that part in as well, that you, you're you a part of a new rap offshoot, UK rap offshoot, and it marking its ascendance to mainstay status. Like, I'm not even gassing you, I'm just, I'm you know me, I always put the culture hat on. And it's like, this is so important in that trajectory. It's so important and so pivotal. And I just want listeners to really realise what's happening right now. Um, beyond just heady like this is just a moment for the UK and UK rap like this year we've had nines at number one we've had pot of paper we've had now heady like there's so many different sounds just being told there's so many different sounds, and then obviously with Stormzy last year, like I may not, I may not always have the best things to say about his music, but in terms of grime and hip hop and stuff, like where we're at with that, like Dave, there's unknown just T. so much Dave psycho drama, unknown T, yeah, I forgot even unknown T set the foundations for this to happen as well. Like it's just there's so Blade many Brown,
2: even Fredo, I mean,
0: yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. no, 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 it's fine, yeah, yeah, yeah. like you know, on Wayne, D, D, block Europe with the trap, M Honcho, like there's so much going on right now like i'm so excited for it as well and like even for i told shoppe this when avorian got added on because it was a late minute edition very um, last minute with her being yeah like so many features were last minute um as in like i'd because i did the bio um hearing i heard some of the things late and it was like it was chip choppy but in terms of even avorian like uniting men and women in drill like Hedy has done a lot of things culturally that needed to happen this year and that collaboration with Ivorian will set the foundations for women in Trill and women rappers as well to exceed more um Hedy starting a label like there's just so many things happening I'm so excited like my culture hat is all the way on like I remember growing up in high school just like our genre I mean our rappers Tried so hard to get that US validation. Now, I was saying this to Shopee again, like the UK US collaboration. I shrugged my shoulders, like Hedy and Drake. Yeah, it makes sense obviously, Drake loves sounds, like, do you know what I mean? Like, all these US to UK collabs, it doesn't make me, bat like, blink anymore. It's just, like, it's normal. Like, um, Kenny Beats and Hedy, like, yeah, of course, like, that, sh- that should be a thing. Future and Hedy, like, okay, like, do you know what I mean? It's not a thing where it's, like, Hedy's changing to be with him or trying to do a Crept and of make a US album or trying to do a chip back in the day and, like, go to the US and have to do that to get validation. It's, like, we have our own sounds and sound stand boldly in them. And the world just eats it up now. So again, Chope, this is just to go around in circles. This is such an important time. um, And I think you need to really just embrace what's actually happened on a cultural level as well. And I'm not saying that we need to look for validation in these white spaces, but what I'm saying is just the amount of listeners, um, just the amount of listeners um, on... On track right now. It's crazy. It's crazy.
2: Well, yeah. Well, thank you very much once again. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's some of the things people are saying to me. i'll is be Like, whoa. Okay, big statement. Whoa. Okay, but I'll take it. But I'm just. I'm literally the monkey emoji. That's that's me right now. Okay, so let's get into the listens for the week. So I have three. So I think, firstly, um I'm going to start off with a an old school person, a very, uh, uh, overlooked and pretty much, like when I say underrated, like I literally mean it with like every fiber of my soul. Like this is a woman that even me, who's Mr. Uncle, Mr. Respecting Legends, this is only a name. I've only just come across this year. So it's a woman called Marlena Shaw. She was a soul singer, jazz singer who was at her most active in the seventies. And the story goes with her is that while I was work when we used to work in offices, uh, I heard this woman sing a rendition of Save the Children by Marvin Gaye. And I was like, oh, this is cool. Like, like, I love the original song. but I was like, who's, I never heard this version. I loved her take on the song. I loved her arrangement on the song. So I was, so I like, you know, I shazam just like, who's this? Okay, Marlena Shaw. All right, cool. So I saved that song. And then um, I think like, I played a few other songs of hers, like uh, Look at Me, Look at You, uh, Go Away, Little Boy. So I kind of just left it at that. But then last week, uh, one of my favourite writers, Craig Seymour, he wrote an article about her.
0: Oh, I saw you tweeting him on the yeah, account. Yeah.
2: Yeah. He wrote an article about her. And then also someone else I follow posted a video of her performing Feel Like Making Love, which is a cover of Butterfly. And I'm like, okay. So I feel like the universe wants me to educate myself on this woman and learn about her. So, like, this week I've just kind of been playing a lot of her music, like a an album particular called Speed Beginnings, which was released in nineteen seventy seven. And also what's the song called? There's an album in particular called which we just find it? Called The Spice of Life, which features probably her one of her best known songs called California Soul, which even it wasn't necessarily a big hit back in the day, but over the time it's kind of been sampled by like J Lock, Electronica, The Game, Gangstar. So like once again like a lot of these old-school soul artists you may never, may never heard they've been, like, been repurposed and given new life through contemporary hip-hop artists. And um, I really like that song in particular because that was 1969, and it kind of really mixes, like, early iterations of funk, but also kind of rock and roll. It kind of has this wall of sound uh, vibe, so, like, you know, by Phil Spector, like, who do stuff of like, Argentina Turner, The Ronettes. So it's, like, a nice... Random hog of varying different sounds from that period Kind of like even It has even a bit of like a Beatles, Beach Boys kind of vibe But still very soulful, still very black And um, yeah, I don't just it really Like I just think uh, she she's a really great artist And it just kind of reminds me like now How we have so many artists now In both the R&B space, hip-hop space Whatever genre that, you know, aren't big stars But I feel like we get to know about them all Because they're all given access to, you know Better publicity and social media and it just shows that. So, like, in the 70s, like, in the era when, you know, it was, like, Aretha Franklin, Chaka Khan, Goddess Night, there were singers like her on the fringes who were making great music. But it was a different time by then. So it was harder for them to kind of really transfer generations. But there are some people out there who, you know, who are of age, who are writing about her, speaking about her. Because one of her other songs, uh, What's it called? 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 Yeah, the song I mentioned, Look At Me, Look At You, which is probably my favorite song. I was reading, that's like apparently a staple on the Rare Garif Suni. Like if you go to a lot of DJ sets, it's like a a staple in clubs, even to this day. But I never would have heard of her. So it just shows that, like, you know, even when it comes to respecting legends, there are so many just older statesmen, women, women and male artists that, you know, were great too. So Marlena Shaw, she's still alive, still making music, still performing. But she's a name that I feel is very unheralded and literally the definition of unsung. So those so I recommend her album, The Spice of Life, and also Sweet Beginnings. Secondly, we're going to go into Kelly Rowland. She released, albeit delayed, um, a new single called Crazy. She and, did, yeah. And I really like it because for me, it's, it's like a return to the dance floor. If you guys didn't know, she was very pivotal. And one of the first American artists to really jump on the EDM electronic wave. She didn't capitalise on it. I'll feel others did it better than her, but I want to make it know that she was probably one of the first with one left takes over, with what a feeling. Yeah. Forever in a Day. She was one of the first to really jump on that I lost wave. Forever
0: in a Day. But- and I think me and Chopin have always lamented in the fact that um, she could have had a really big status there. There was just a lot of institutional yep. changes and mistakes. Well, not maybe not mistakes. She might be happy with them. No, they weren't. She, no, but she might be happy with them. She might not agree. But like some decisions where we feel personally as fans of her, like long-term fans, Destiny's Child Days fans, like um, Stole Days fans, where we feel like she found a market and it's like, she could yeah. have really leveraged Europe. Yeah, she could have leveraged Europe, you know.
2: But this is the thing when it comes to American artists. I feel like a lot of American artists get her when they're big everywhere but their own country, which, which I, do I would get. get. It's I like not having that. your
0: town rep you over here or something.
2: I understand that. But another thing, like people don't always give credit for. Like people always compare to Beyonce naturally the same group, but Kelly's had a she's had a, an accomplished solo career internationally. One hundred and
0: ten percent. One hundred and ten percent. Like
2: in the UK alone, she's like twelve top ten singles, like on her own. Not
0: she was dominating at one point over here like literally she was a powerhouse yeah. like invited to festivals like she was literally that girl so i want to make that point. clear
2: that her 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 us because maybe intermittent and inconsistent but like international and that's kind of why it upsets me because i kind of feel like when she really focused on the states she just left uk and europe by the wayside she did she, really, like, just, she didn't she, even come she back she really and, just like, abandoned her uk and european audience like and she has not really yeah. really made a stamp here in like 10 years yeah. And yeah, exactly. So I just kind of exactly. I just kind of feel that I really wish that she just really accepted accepted that. I like, you know obviously I keep trying to you know push the states but I really wish she just understood that this is my my lane. UK and Europe mm. it's Asia, mm. Australia like these are my cuz she was doing so well.
0: She, even Australia, because they follow what, well, as, as me and know like the Australian and New Zealand markets, like they follow the UK quite closely. Like there's a lot of songs over here, the EDM, Ibiza leaning, that kind, that kind of sound that can easily ascend to like gold. Like you can get gold there really yeah. easily and stuff like that because of how dense the population is. Um, yeah how dense the concentrate um concentration of the population is um there's not a lot of consumers there so like it's easier to penetrate those markets
2: yeah and then so what i love about the song is that it's kind of so actually it a return to the dance floor but it's kind of got like it's kind of a new disco so there's disco but there's new disco and it kind of like reminds me of like a modern day version of like a donna summer song or evelyn champagne king sylvester Sister Sledge. And I just think once again, like it really works for her. It really, really works for her. And you know, we're now seeing like, you know, Jesse Ware and Dua Lipa, like they've really got this post-disco-esque aesthetic and sound. But I think Kelly Rowland could really do it even better because she has the the roots and underbacking of like, you know, its roots in soul music, its roots in funk music. Yeah. And like, you know, yeah. kind of like, you know, with like a Gwen Guthrie or Patrice Russian. And I really would like her. So in my AR bag, I'm on AR my PR. But in my A bag. But
0: you, you have you have that kind of experience. <laughs> if the transferable skills, you know what I mean.
2: I would really love her to really return to that sound. Not necessarily like the EDM stuff, but kind of like I said, a, a more of like a new disco sound. Kind of like you know, with Chromio, Daft Punk, Justice, these kind of producers. Oh,
0: Daft Punk, that would be. I would dope. love her. T- like, I, that just would be re-
2: I just think she do- she would just soar here, and I just think she mm. would do so well. So like, I love this song. It's a great song. I play it on repeat. I really, I I doubt she will, but I really hope she pushes this and gives it the legs that it deserves, especially internationally. I don't want to focus on just the US, like because this could be a hit here. Yeah, like with 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 a video, with a UK promo team, UK radio team. This could really be. This could actually be a, a comeback international single for her. Like to be honest, like mm. like if the potential was there, and I loved um her last single, Coffee, and I'm waiting for the album, which hopefully does come this year. So um. Yeah, those are my lessons. Nicholas, yeah, I
0: was just going to say with Kelly Rowland, I think she um, excels well with um, niches. Um, even though um, we can argue that EDM um, that wave was not a niche, but it was a niche for her, if that makes sense. It like a personal niche. Um, I think she she does well when she uses. And as a
2: black woman, it was niche, back yes, then. Yes,
0: and I think using the yes, yeah, exactly. What she brought to the the genre was niche, exactly. And the just her just her texture, her vocal texture across those kind of tracks is why I think she really has. Her
2: voice was soaring on this.
0: Though. She really has a unique tone And I think she needs to hone in on that And, like, personally Like, out of all the Destiny's Child members um, Her tone On tracks, like, even listening back Writings on the wall, all of that, like I hear her voice the most as the undercurrent, like in terms of tonality. um, She's definitely one of the most distinguishable voices um, in both of the iterations, um, or all of the iterations, should I say, of the collective. So she should totally, she should lean into that using her voice in Nisha pockets. Um, And I agree, she has the sensibilities and the knowledge to kind of hone into that sound that Chopin was just talking about as well. I think it would sound really great. And I'm a fan of the single too, to be fair. But um, moving in to my listens really quickly, just because our guest will be on soon. Um, I have been listening to. I'm just gonna breeze through these, just because um yeah i just want to get to the um news and then guest but um dylan sinclair torrentorian amazing act um i think we are having I'm um shopping was talking about it last week with um give you on but i think the male RB space RB soul should i say because this guy leans into soul as well um it's perfect right now i think there's a lot of texture there's a, as i said again tones um give tone is so rich i think dylan sinclair similarly has such a nice little tone to him um he i think he's 19 years old so really young really still developing but i think this package um that he kind of offered to the world i think it's an ep but um i think he's cool. like it's called proverb and i think i've been sleeping on this for weeks because it's been released for like three weeks um i've been meaning to see it because i've seen a lot of people talk about this project like in the niche cult RB spaces um and i just think Again, Toronto has its own unique brand of R and B, and I'm not talking just solely trap soul. Their tones, um, and their accents, um, serve them really well in how they, um, they cover songs. Even in the R and B women space, Savannah Ray is someone killing it in Toronto right now. Um, as Shoppe has brought to the table before. I think there's a lot.
2: Yes, I love her. There's
0: a I lot of her. yeah, exactly. There's a lot of um. There's an R and B space and they are really about to take over, I think, um, in the US as well. I think there'll be there'll be a whole moment in the next 10 years where the, a lot of them just transition. Um, so I think I can see Savannah Ray even working with Kalani. But yes, Dylan Sinclair, this is um, this is proverb. It is about eight songs long, only half an hour. It is such a cohesive project. Each song literally falls into the next. There's no bad song on it. I think my favorite is um. Jericho which is like track number five I just think the production on it um it just gives me really old school soul vibes like um yeah I just love his voice really rich really rich um textures to his voice too so yes that is proverb and I'm gonna give you one more um this woman oh my gosh when I first heard this project it was released in the summer but only on Bandcamp, and then got released to DSP's as of last week, I believe um, This is called Motherland by Baby Mother Now, this woman is fucking crazy, okay? Like, her flow is insane her confidence her cadence is out of this world like i'm telling you if you need a woman in rap to listen to baby mother you need to listen to this project her interludes are inspired like loosely by you know the moesha when moesha's reflecting in her room at the end that music um she literally dear Dad, yeah, yeah 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 like when she's when she's self-loathing and being like i didn't do anything wrong but anyway let me just self-reflect for the sake of it but um she, yeah, kim she, was tripping Literally, <laughs> literally. <laughs> <laughs> Nisi, I hate that girl. Like, all it is, like Hakeem, all of this, But um yeah. Where's
2: my money, Hakeem? Oh my
0: gosh, that episode was so petty. Like, what? <laughs> you can see he lives in poverty and you're asking for like what? Was it $10 or $20? Like, like what $10. the hell? Like Moesha, your dad would give you that tenfold. Like, come on. But um, yeah, uh, she distorts that kind of production that is used um and kind of just essentially like just does her own little, um, free verse interludes in there. And it's just, I just think it's a really fun, nostalgic EP, um, album even, sorry. Um, oh man, this, She's just great. Young Baby Tate is on there as well, who is on the Insecure soundtrack. Um, if you haven't heard of her, and she is Atlanta based, she killed it. She was on the track of Brie Runway this year. She's released like a plethora of albums. I've spoken about her on the podcast in previous seasons, but I just think their flow is unmatched together. And I think Baby, um, Baby Mother has a really deep, um, almost male like in some cases, like really deep tone kind of rap voice, um, really. Um, androgynous Actually I'd say Androgynous kind of voice um, Whereas like Baby Tate has a really Kind of soft Atlanta Cute Bubble gum Kind of Um approach to her voice and tone but then she can spit really hard so like that that juxtaposition with baby mother's voice as well on nice guy just pierces through and it just sounds incredible um i'd say another track if you want to get into flow it's literally track number three baby mother this baby mother that like i think her production choices are just so layered like this is like a trap production but it's not trap. like you've heard it before like this woman has tiara whack creativity um she's i just i can't get enough of her honestly just press play i can't even describe in words how great this project is it, it is quickly in like days like i listened to this on thursday um ascended into like my top 10 it is a top 10 release for me this year like so quickly got into that list um but yes uh the album is called motherland if i didn't say it before so baby mother motherland um and i'm gonna quickly just shoot into the news okay because we do not have time okay so let's get into our first news item of the week this took over twitter at the beginning of the week it kind of led into it led into the week because sunday the first bit of this was released and then as the week has gone on we've just seen various forms of comebacks so avorian doll daily duppy um she released it on sunday um by via grm daily if you guys want to listen to that um, in the line, she in in the song, sorry, which like is three minutes long, she said, um, "How many speeches are you gonna do? You should have stopped at number two. Screaming my name when I don't know you. This bitch is a dog. I'm Alicia too, which is a pun on Lady Leisha, but I think she's addressing that particular bar towards um, Miss Our Fabulous, which is a um, influencer." Um, do, has done a rap song before But she's really an influencer and YouTuber um, And she said Also um, A former th- member Thinks I resent her Couldn't take um, attention centre Snake pretender gonna spun in a blender Twitter in a YouTube trender So you still taught my name when I left you I had to done that duo I think you know cut that evil eye See how I kicked off 2-0 So um, that's A uh, a line towards Abigail Asante, who was in a duo with her called um, Abigail and Avorian Doll. Um, they released a plethora of tracks together um, in 2018, 2019, um, before Avorian went solo. Um, so yeah, in this track, she's basically going to uh, miss our fabulous and, um, Abigail Asante miss our fabulous responded, uh, four days ago with releasing Homer thought IVD disc. It stands at one minute, 50 seconds long. Um, in it, she addresses the fact that, um, apparently Avorian is a Homer thought, um, and she's been sleeping with, um, everyone uh if you listen to avorian doll's recent single rumors basically all of that which she's already addressed um and then abigail returned with a visual um on the october 13th so again a couple of days ago so the day after um, i believe it was wednesday of last week with big facts in it she addresses that um avorian can't write apparently she addresses that she's a thought as well um and that's really it, really. That's where we are. Things trended. Abigail got uh dissed looks-wise, bars-wise, whatever Miss are Fabulous got dissed, bars-wise. Um and in terms of lyrics as well um that was a weak diss in my opinion but um shoppe do you have any thoughts i know you saw what happened so let me know
2: um first and foremost i just want to say i can no longer deny i Doll. i can't as much
0: as i've seen you retweeting her I've seen as you. much as
2: i tried to in the beginning because obviously like for those of us who remember the origins of how she got uh big in the first place or i guess got clout in the first place i kind of was like uh, okay no There's people to be focusing on There's better people to be focusing on But as these songs have come out These videos have come out The rollout One of my my ex-company They do her PR right now Yeah I just like I can't deny her You know I've always been about good music And I've always been about talent And when I I heard the Daily Duffy Just kind of like Confirmed It's like Say you want about her As a person Or where she's come from But when it comes to the music And bars She has them in abundance And hearing her Yes On Hedy's album over that Kenny B's production. I was like, this girl is going places. This girl is going places. So I first will say I really enjoyed her deli duppy. Um, As for the other two responses, you know, I joined in the laughs and hilarity, like everyone else, you know, retweeted the memes and the jokes, you know, because it's it's hilarious. I do want to say though, um, Renee, definitely, definitely keep your day job. We don't need to hear any more from you. Like, definitely not. But Abigail, you know what? Her response, you know, it was, you know, uh, sketchy in areas in terms of the production of the video and the song and also the delivery, you know. But she she has an interesting tone to her voice. She, she does. Kinda, and she's talented. She can, I don't know, she I don't know is. who she reminds me of, but there's someone she reminds me of, like... She kind of... I don't know who... There's a particular rapper that I have in mind that she reminds me of, but it's not really coming to me right now. But... um she has like a really interesting tone that i think with the right you know um ghost writers and right production and definitely um better better um contact lenses because those weren't it she could be something too and i'm really like as nick said earlier like you know i'm really loving that we're seeing like you know as we're now starting to really see the proliferation of female rap in the states i feel like we're the same as starting to happen in the uk at long last like finally
0: 110 percent like for a long 100%. for a long time
2: 110%. i think most people if you know music would only really say little sims i think i, I think who are who are lady, lady Alicia, Leisha,
0: some people would um, say um maybe Stefan Don, maybe yeah. miss banks
2: but like now we have shabo we have we have ivorian doll you know abigail could be something she maybe mm. you know maybe she could be something I'm DDB is another one so that's it really but um I just think it's all funny. I'm enjoying entertainment. I think people are taking it too seriously. Um, But uh, how would you feel about if you're a good artist and coming out again getting viral? Like, they all, they, you know, they all come from that Twitter beef from three or so years ago with the shoe and whatever, the bus stop, whatever. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah.
0: Like, Shortage. It's
2: like, it is what it is. It's like, no one's watching Renee, watching her thinking that, like, oh, she can be a superstar. We're watching because it it's funny. We're watching yeah. it because it's funny. It's banter. Yeah. That's it. Now, Abigail, she might have something. I'm not saying she does, but she might.
0: Yeah, I think when they were a duo, she she was definitely the 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 more I I liked her delivery more. Um, again, like her bars you, were weak though. No, no, no. These bars were, but in the past, like when they were in the group, I definitely liked her. I I definitely think she was the anchor of the group. Um, and. Ivorian more so. No, I think they both were cool, but I think um, Abigail had it more. um But now, obviously, I see like I see it for Ivorian. I've said this before. Like I'm really excited about her. She's super talented. Working on her artistry, working on her sound, working on dance moves. Like she's really bringing a different offering to the palette which i'm excited about and i think with ivorian like i see a trajectory there i just think right team in place and she's got the right team to help articulate and stuff i just think i can't wait to see what's happening with this whole beef i want to say like renee obviously like it's called do like we're not even going to acknowledge it like it was it was whack um with
2: hello auntie with
0: with uh, (laughs) <laughs> listen like I, I get wanting a response out but like you ain't chip it's fine um i do
2: rate how quickly they both did it though no
0: no no the, I, the, to be honest one thing i'll say is the videos they were shot with re- they were shot well for the time frame that's all i'm gonna say for the time frame they were shot better than i thought they would be you know that's one thing beef videography is getting so much better and i think even stormzy's beef like obviously he had the money to do that and budget but like it was cool visuals but um with uh abigail i just want to say that i did see a little bit of misogynoir i did see a little bit of misogynoir on the timeline i did because before she even released anything people call her uh, ugly people and obviously contact lenses might not have been it that's fine that's one point that's cool because contact lenses aren't a part of her do you know what i mean um but in terms of some of the comments I comments
2: about her weight
0: I saw the misogyn What way? Because she's... She, there's no way to even see. Like, she's... It's just that she's... I think people... She's no, built... She's built America's a bit different. Ivorion, that's yeah. Yeah. And, like, she's built a bit different. But, like, in terms of... the, I, I just saw loads of comments. And coming from women as well, it's just disappointing to see. Um, and a lot of you need to check your... Um, check your kind of internal problematic areas because there's a lot to work on and i'm not saying i'm perfect like i say every week because there's things for me to work on but yo like the misogyny and misogynoir came out to play um one thing i'll say is yes i do agree with some of the takes like you know homer and thought like and what abigail said like can we have disses without saying someone slept with someone 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 like is that really like it's kind of surface level stuff and it's like people could do what they want why is that a diss like what else why is that a diss like do something else like og nikki like we know what happened to her the plague of her being called a thought and stuff like that like we're over that like you know what i mean um Yeah but that's all I wanted to say I just think Abigail was was the better diss Of the two that came in response Obviously Ivorian's freestyle was amazing Um whoever's helping her write and stuff like that is dope Like I just think she's doing great right now Um but yeah I just wanted to echo Check your basogyny guys please Um because that ain't it (coughs) At all That ain't it But um this was funny this week It was, <laughs> it was funny. That's what, It
2: was and That is what I was saying Ivor and I'll be checking the mixtape or EP when it comes out You know, Nicholas did a great interview with her a few weeks back So I know one's coming later this year, I believe Um,
0: It is, in a couple weeks
2: So, uh, yeah, I'll be on the lookout for her Like, you know what And I even just love that Because I think for so many years That as much as I love music I feel like in terms of rap I can't deny that my palette of rap has generally been very male centric aside from the, the ogs like you know the missies the kims the foxes the queen Latifas, the salt and peppers but like across time but i feel like now i'm really like i'm really getting so many different like you, you guys know i love no name you know i love Rico nasty you know i love chica yeah. just so-
0: chica's dope but chica is dope like so dope. there's
2: just there's just so many now like there's Rhapsody, of course. There's Tierra. Rhapsody, yeah. There's just so many. So I, I just really, I'm loving that. And on and on the UK side, like I'm just loving that. I have other female rappers that I can listen to other than Little Sims now. Mm, mm, so mm, mm, I mm, say mm, this is just 100. this is just a win for women in rap. It's me- messy or not because we should be allowed to have messy moments for women in rap.
0: Let's without the let's, without the you're ruining yeah, your career or and, da 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 and da da. And da, 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 da. Rene,
2: like it's cool to have shit once too. You know, we have, we have plenty of shit rappers in the UK That are men and same in the US Like, let's have let's Exactly.
0: Have like, it was funny It was funny It was funny oh, oh my god, I have to shout this girl out I'm sorry, while we're talking women in rap Like, shabo, 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 shabo Shabo, 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 Like, I just love... This woman, I'm in love with her. Like, literally, I am obsessed with her. Like, I spoke to her for a feature coming up. When, you, when it comes out, we will talk about it and everything. But she is one of the most professional artists I have ever met. And that that's not even respect to video politics. But, like, she knows exactly what she wants to add to the table. She has got herself not just a recording contract, but a, um, a publishing deal as well for her writing and all of that. Like, I'm so proud of her her cadence and her delivery is one of the best. a lot of rappers in the uk i said this on twitter will do something to study her music because how she enunciates um how she uses the Yoruba, how she uses aspects of patois how she uses aspects of english slang in her songs and when she comes on a track it's like rick ross the delivery is out of this world and i think pe- rappers need to Pay more attention to that, that enunciation and delivery and cadence because it's so important. But Shebo, her latest single, "Dopalé" is fire for that. Like, in terms of the enunciation, like, I'm, I'm a fan.
2: Oh, sorry, random. I remembered who it was. It was Young Jeezy who sounds like Abigail.
0: <laughs> <laughs> t-
2: young Jeezy.
0: <laughs> young Jeezy. But oh my maybe- gosh, yes, yes, yes. I hear it, I hear it, I hear it. But I hear anyway, it, I hear it. Our guest
2: is here now. So today we have a very special guest joining us. We have Marcus J. Moore. He is an award-winning music journalist, curator, who has written for the New York Times, The Fader, BBC, The Nation, and he is also the contributing editor of Bankart Daily. But why he's here today is because he is now an author. He has recently put out The Butterfly Effect, How Kendrick Lamar Ignited the Soul of Black America. His first book is out now by Actra Books, an imprint of Simon & Schuster. So welcome to the show, Marcus.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate you guys.
2: How are you today?
1: Doing okay. Can't complain. Um, The book came out in the U.S. this past Tuesday. And uh, so, Mm -hmm. so far the love has been pretty overwhelming. So I'm just, uh, you know, trying to to appreciate it. But at the same time, just, you know, reflecting on the journey and stuff like that.
2: Great. So Nick and I, we're massive of Kendrick Lamar so when this opportunity came to interview you we were like yes we definitely have to talk to you because obviously this is such an amazing thing the very first Kendrick Lamar biography so this would be a very great discussion about all things Kendrick but we also want to make sure we discuss you and your work so I guess to start things off you know tell us how you got into writing and where did your love of music originate from
1: oh man um my love of music originated from from childhood, like very early childhood. Um, like I, I grew up, <clears throat> excuse me, I grew up when MTV was coming of age. So, and so we're talking like the mid, like the early to mid eighties, and um, I would just watch every video. So I wasn't just watching one segment of you know uh, what was going on in MTV. I was watching David Bowie videos. I'm watching later Michael Jackson videos and The Cure and all of this stuff. And my cousins always make fun of me now saying that, uh, you know, you've been studying your career ever since you were a kid. All we had to do was plop you in front of a TV and you could recite everything that was going on. So, um, you know, I'm watching MTV. And then at the same time, I grew up in a musical family in the sense that we loved all kinds of music. So my, my cousin Eric was a DJ. And he's bringing in like all kinds. So he's bringing in EPMD records. He's bringing in a tribe called Quest Records. And then me and my cousin, I, my cousins Ike and Tiffany, we would play everything from Public Enemy to Boogie Down Productions, and you know NWA and stuff. Stuff I probably wasn't supposed to be listening to at my at the age I was. And then I had an aunt who would play everything from like indie rock to funk to soul, you name it. And so I just I grew up in these uh, sort of this mixing pot of of music. And uh, it just went from there. And as far as writing, I don't know. I've always been one of these kids where I would journal everything I was doing. So when I was a youngin, I would. Uh, I would just kind of write on the walls randomly, much to my mother's chagrin. <laughs> and then, um, and then, um, as I got older, that, that blossomed into a love of, uh, of journalism. And so before I started covering music, I was, um, covering, you know, I, i worked at a local newspaper and I was covering education. I was covering business, all kinds of things. Yeah. And until I did that until 2009 and then, uh, I was like, I was covering a school board meeting in Montgomery County, Maryland, and legit at one meeting was like, I can't do this anymore because <laughs> I've been covering school boards for like four years, and uh, went from there, you know. And then I launched my own website, and then from there it was a snowball. Uh, I would reach out to different publications, and thankfully they would say yes, and I just kept going. I just put in those ten thousand hours, so to speak.
0: Um, I wanted to ask you, so obviously you ascended into a music um, writer, journalist, um, all of that. Um, When did the moment come to you? Because I know you've written so many crucial pieces in the arcs of like hip hop and um, rap. And jazz. And jazz. And like, it's eclectic. Like your taste is super eclectic, funk, like just looking at your work. But I wanted to... Ask you when because journalism and writing a book are two completely different disciplines you know and writing i think a lot of people don't realize that writing is so um multifaceted in in how how it can appear um so when did the penny drop for you um in saying actually do you know what i want to also um pen this this particular book for my first ever novel that that's where Yeah. Well, how did your mind shift into that? Did you get an agent? Like how just talk to talk to us about the journey there?
1: Sure. Yeah, it was um, the idea for this book first came about in I want to say it was late summer, early fall of 2017. Okay. I remember it was one day in particular. uh, I was still full time working full time at Bandcamp as one of their senior editors. And um, yes. so, yeah, so one day I'm just, you know, walking down Franklin Avenue like I always do. And I always play music when I do that, put on some big old headphones and and play some jams or whatever. So
2: mm-hmm.
1: for whatever reason, one day I was just like, OK, let me jump back into this to Pepper Butterfly, because I love that album, much like mm-hmm. all of us mm-hmm. love that album. And as as you all alluded to, you know, just me being such a jazz head, I've always been taken by that records sort of lush orchestration, so I, I've been fascinated with the musicians on on that uh, on that record. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so. I've always been, even as a, you know, before I started covering music and I was covering other things, I've been a sucker for these fly on the wall stories. Yes. And in listening to it, I'm just like, man. And I'm looking at the liner notes and I'm like, bro, I'm I'm really curious to know how like Flying Lotus came into this and how yeah. uh, Thundercat and Anna Wise and Layla Hathaway, like all Robert these. Robert Glasper.
2: Like,
1: Robert Glasper, Terrace Martin, like all mm. these people. And so at that moment, in twenty seventeen, I was like, Man, there's a book in here. I don't know what the book is, but I was just gonna honestly I just wanted I wanted the butterfly effect, butterfly effect rather to be just about to pepper butterfly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was gonna write about that one album. Um, but then to answer your question, yeah, I did get an agent. Um I reached out to some good buddies of mine who are who are authors and editors, and mm, I ran the idea mm. past them. And they were totally into it. They were like, Yeah, you need to you need to hurry up and do that. That, that sounds like a great idea. And one friend in particular kept sending me these different book proposals and, and each book proposal had the same name, William Loturco on it. And so, oh, okay. yeah. So I reset the Will, and we had coffee. And before we could even sit down with our respective coffees, he was like, yeah, let's do this. And um, so then I took the, the rest of 2017 to write a proposal and we got the deal locked in uh, in uh, March, late March of twenty eighteen. That's amazing, man! It's it's great that you had
0: those resources to lean into as well to to make that happen.
2: No, one hundred percent. And I'm actually very glad you said you wanted to. Um initially focus on Pimber Butterfly because that too is my personal favorite Kendrick Lamar project. Like, like you, like Nick knows, I'm very much, I'm the uncle of the podcast. Yeah, it would so speak I'm, to
0: you. It would speak to you.
2: Yeah. So when this first came out, I was definitely like intrigued and just impressed at uh, the breadth of jazz influences, funk influences, old song influences like, you know, Art Blakely and Jill Scott Heron and all, and obviously the great musicians. I'm a massive Robert Glasper fan. So I'm glad you said that but what I wanted to ask was um, why did you want to center Kendrick and not another artist because some would say that it's a bit premature a bit too early on to have a whole book about Kendrick as even though he's been making music since 20, 2004 in terms of like the mainstream cultural imagination he's only approaching a decade you know because and I know obviously Hanif you know he wrote his book about Child called quest a few years back. So I just want to know why was it important for you to center Kendrick, and did you think maybe this could be a bit too soon?
1: No, you know, I thought the exact opposite because you know, even though I come from a a journalistic background where we're taught to just sort of stand away from the subject and and look at it with a a different sort of gaze, um, I'm also of the mindset that we shouldn't wait to give people their flowers, like especially in this time frame because. I knew I knew from the jump that it was going to be a book about Kendrick, but it was also going to be a book about black America, you know, like it says in the subhead. So I knew it was it was going to tackle all of this stuff that we had gone through and and how, you know, you were walking down the street and you didn't know if you were going to be the next hashtag. And if you're looking on social media, you're just seeing all this despair and you're seeing protests and all this crazy, like unprecedented stuff. And so I never like to wait to celebrate people because you never know. I mean, especially with black art, there is this notion that, oh, well, the person is too too young, it's too soon. But at the same time in literature, I can read bios on the same rock artists over and over and over again. And those, and those bios have been written while they were still creating. And so I'm like, well, why is it that with black art we have to wait until the person gets old or passes away? And, and this year especially, I mean, we've lost some icons, man. We've lost mm-hmm,
2: uh, mm-hmm. You
1: know, Kobe Bryant died right at the top of the year. Chadwick Boseman popped smoke. You know what I mean? So it's like, man. I'm not going to wait because you just never know. Andre
2: Harrell, Lil' Richard. Yep. Betty, oh, yeah, yeah. Betty Wright. We've lost a lot this year. We've
1: lost a lot. And so, and, and I'm sure you guys see this too. When you hop on social, social media, you know, there'll be a couple people like, oh, man, we didn't. Especially in the case of Andre Harrell. It was like, oh man, we didn't celebrate him enough. Oh man, we didn't give him the flowers. Mm. And so I'm like, well, why? Why are we? Why are we waiting to give people flowers? I, you know, as corny as it may seem, I think we ought to be celebrating folks loudly. You know, I mean, if they if they had that impact, I feel like they need to be on a bookshelf somewhere. They need to be in a documentary. So that was my thinking going into it. And you're right, there was definitely just a few people who were like, oh, it's too soon for a thing like that. And I'm like, well. I knew it wasn't going to be the the traditional bio. It wasn't going to be a celebrity bio. It was going to be more of a, you know, for the lack of a better term, it was going to be like an 80,000 word article, so to speak. So that's how I approach it. And I hope that's how people see it.
0: Um, I
1: completely agree with your point, just in this kind of fast
0: paced. When you spoke about the internet, that just really resonated as someone who watches internet culture a lot and like how things move on and stuff like it's so important i think to give people their flowers and even the late pop smoke like over in the uk he did a lot for bringing drill to a collaborative point in terms of like the uk and brooklyn and people can see what he was about to do so i was really glad when like complex did a big spread about drill and celebrated him and just really focused on what he meant to the canon at the time and i think that going back looking back in history we'll be able to see that because people took the plunge and didn't think oh it's too early at the time or didn't think that he shouldn't get his flowers so you know you giving kendrick his flowers is it's great and i think there'll be more books that continue to do that like you said with rock artists um over the time um i wanted to ask you really how you shaped your chapters and how yeah how you constructed the structure of this book just because there's a lot of pivotal moments obviously there's a star is born one of your chapters is called king kendrick which kind of reinforces that you know then we're going to be all right that that cathartic record um and then mourning in America. So like obviously you just spoke about your intertwining all of that with the, the politics of racial America right now. But how did you pinpoint those exact moments um in
1: the synergy of your your book? Well, um, you know, I I wanted it to be as visual as possible, you know, because I'm I'm more so of a visual writer. So um I always want to make sure when I'm writing a book that people see or when I'm writing anything rather that as much as you can you can see exactly what I'm talking about you can put yourself in the studio session you can put yourself in on Rosecrans Avenue those sorts of things and so in constructing the book honestly I um I was listening to a lot of music man I was listening to a lot of uh a lot of jazz music a lot of old soul music that has like this very leisurely sort of cadence and pace, because the thing I like about those sorts of records is that it feels like they're walking you through a narrative and you start out on one side and then you end somewhere totally different. And um, two records in particular that I had been listening to at the time was um, this jazz drummer named Makaya McRaven. He, in in 2018... He came out with this an amazing record called Universal Beings, and the thing that I loved about that record is that it's, you know, when you listen to it, it, it's not a whole lot going on, but he does this really awesome job of using meditative loops and repetition to bring you into the narrative and to and to keep you locked in, you know, and it has moments of, of flair and climax, so like uh, around the Chicago side when Shabaka Hutchings is on there and Juniors. Paul is on there, flares a little bit, but then it settles back. Okay.
2: Down. better name the UK.
1: <laughs> Yo, I love Chewbacca, man. That's I love I love his music so much, man. Like, I'm a huge fan of his. So uh, but yeah, that whole UK movement, man. By Garcia, and yeah, I mean, come on. It's like, it's crazy going on. It's a lot shout, of good music coming out of
2: there. Shout out to our boy Moses Boyd. He's a friend of the show.
1: Moses the Dark Minor album. That, yes. that record is really good. Yeah, man. So um so yeah man i mean it it may be like super music nerd stuff but like you know a lot of the questions i've been getting is oh what were you reading but it's like no i've been listening to a lot of music so i took so i took that um those sort that sort of pace and i just wanted to do the same i wanted to walk through i wanted to walk through the um through the narrative as calmly as i could and so i i decided to I decided to do a kind of Tarantino style, right, where when you look at his movies, Pulp Fiction in particular, it starts out with this dramatic scene and then it backs up and 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 walks you through how it got there. And so that's why I decided I wanted chapter one to be about the whole Macklemore situation and, and how that led to him going to South Africa. But then uh, after that, I wanted to back up and, oh, here's Kendrick as a kid walking through to get to. Section 80 and Good Kid, Mad City and those things. And so that's that's mainly what I wanted to do, man, is just calmly walk through the narrative and just kind of took I, I took the narrative where it took me. So, yes, I I referred to my book proposal in the outline. But by and large, man, I just kind of wrote it like I would write any other article. And when I came to a place where I was talking about something that wasn't specific to me. I went above and beyond to reach out to people in L.A. and from L.A. to sort of, you know, walk me through how they felt at the time.
2: All right. So I want to actually follow on from this jazz conversation, because reading this book and also reading some some other articles that you've written, like it's clear that you've always had a reverence for jazz, like you've written a lot about Miles Davis. Herbie Hancock is one of my personal favorites. Masego, Georgia and Muldrow, Robert Glasper. And what I've noticed is is that you, like, frame them as, like, these visionaries who push boundaries. And, of course, this book pays a lot of attention to Pimper Butterfly, which we said earlier is very influenced by a lot of those great jazz musicians and great jazz soundscapes. And so I wanted to know, and even areas of damn, which I, I... uh, which I really liked So you even noted how songs like Feel and Fear Have these jazz sensibilities Which I never really thought of like that before Because damn to me, I enjoyed the album But I it was definitely In comparison to The to the, the previous two it was like, it's cool, I can rock with it But it's not the same Like It was a bit too, for me, a bit too commercial Pop leaning, but I can still appreciate it And some of my favourite songs are on there Like Duckworth is one of my favourite Favourite Kato songs ever so I wanted to know if you think that jazz has always been and always will be the catalyst for modern innovation in contemporary Black music.
1: I, I believe so. I totally believe so because it's an art form that can convey such strong emotion without any words at all. And I've always appreciated that. Like, thing I of course, I grew up with hip hop and I love hip hop. um, But... It's not like jazz music in the sense that, you know, you can you can hear the emotion in, you know, Chewbacca's, um trumpet playing or excuse me, saxophone playing. You can sort of hear the emotion of an Alice Coltrane and her music and Pharoah Sanders and, you know, all these people. And I would even argue like even modern day composers like like Mad Lib, like Mad Lib is totally black liberation jazz. Like if you listen to his medicine, medicine show series. Um, he's pulling from like a lot of like jazz influences. And so mm-hmm. I do. And and Quasimodo. Quasimodo. It's like all of this patchwork stuff. And I and I also don't think Flying Lotus gets enough credit for sort of ushering free jazz back into the, the mainstream space with his 2014 album, You're Dead. Like it's a free jazz record. It's him and Thundercat just going in and Herbie's on it too, just going in for like 30 minutes. So... Um, I, I you know jazz music is one of those things where it's always going to innovate and I feel like strains of it are in other styles of music. So like you said, you're you're a big Robert Glasper fan. I mean, he's a he is like he might be the jazz hybrid. He was the guy for a lot of years. It was him and Roy Hargrove, and that was it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, mm-hmm. and and you know when you listen to his music, even though he's steeped in the tradition of jazz, he's branching out into R and B. He's branching out into experimental music with the uh Robert Glassman yep. Experiment project, but it still has jazz at the center of it. And um I, I think it's one of those things that it's it's in a lot of music, a lot more music that people realize. Like even like you said, duckworth. Duckworth is is a is a patchwork of of all these different beats and sounds, just like jazz. I mean, jazz is the same thing where it, it may sound raucous to, to your ear, but underneath it is like, you know, the same bass line holding it together or it may shift. Herbie was really good at shifting into different pockets within a 20 minute time frame. And um, yeah, I, I think it's it's um it's a music that's always there and it's always going to be there. And I feel like people are recognizing it more so now than they have because it's more prominent because of Paper Butterfly and because of. Kamazi Washington's music. Now it's not so so foreign to have uh, a jazz act playing on a big festival stage and I think that's Mm-mm, great.
2: Not at all, not at all. And I even think that um I feel like not enough credit is given to the so I do agree though, I do think Butterfly definitely helped popularize jazz to new young contemporary audiences. We said this when we spoke to Moses, but I do think not enough is given to the impact of Robert Glass's black radio album. Especially with all the artists that he worked on, like you know, with Erica, Music Soul Child, Chrisette Michelle, people who were just fans of them, or even Slum Village, they were introduced. I feel like that was the beginning of this renaissance we have, and then kind of Kendrick kind of just spearheaded it and took it to another direction. So I love what you said. I really agree with that, Nicholas. I was going
0: to ask Shopey, do you have any follow up questions in relation to jazz? Because like this conversation, you might we might as well just keep it within this realm just what i'm just asking just in case
2: okay i do have i do have one question actually go for it so as i was reading the book and you mentioned a trial called quest and you mentioned common quite a bit and then you kind of know how actually actually highlighted a quote one second <laughs> yeah so you said that with like War for chocolate which is one of my favorite common albums massive common fan here <laughs> you you said that his blend felt brighter and more tethered to the jazz rap hybrids of a trackwood quest and gangstar while Kendrick's was more darker and more esoteric. So what I wanted to ask was why do you think that with maybe the advent of those guys and even Diller and Slum Village, why do you think the impact we're seeing in the jazz realm now wasn't seen with those albums and those artists? Even the Roots, Things Fall Apart, another one I can mention. Why do you think that is?
1: You know, I think it was just a matter of timing because when those records came out, um, I want to say what "Like Water for Chocolate" came out in two thousand. Um, "Things Fall Apart" came out in nineteen ninety nine. Um, I feel like we were at a time where hip hop was still a very, it, well, it is, but it, at the time it was still about baggy jeans and Tim's and you know, it, it was it was shifting, and I think it was still trying to find its way back then. You know where. In two thousand, you had you started to have the commercialization of hip hop. So you had like you know people like um, you had like Jay Z, and you had all these different artists who were starting to get these deals outside of hip hop so that are doing more movies and they're they're doing other you know sorts of um, other sorts of art. And so I think something like Like Water for Chocolate, I mean it still went gold, um, but it I think it was still considered underground slash alternative hip hop. Even though the Soul Quarians were running it at the time, it wasn't it didn't it, it wasn't as um esoteric as um Butterfly because the jazz was more straight ahead. It was still great. I mean, I think Roy Hargrove was playing horn. <clears throat> on like Water for Chocolate,
0: mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Um, and and as you as you correctly pointed out, like Dilla, I mean, it's totally a jazz head. He pulls from a lot of like bebop and hard bop and things like that. Um, but I think it was just the dominance of hip hop at the time. It was it, it was really big on bravado. It was really big on like big beats and you know confidence and things like that. So if you were coming with a jazz record back then, it's like yeah, it. it it totally confined ears, but it wasn't going to have the same <clears throat> widespread impact that it's having now. And I think, honestly, it's just a, a matter of timing where when To Pepper Butterfly came out, we were at a time where you can make sonically a- ambitious art and it'll find the right people because there's a lot more variation. You know, now instead of the radio telling you what to play, you can now go to Spotify and play what you want you can find whatever genre of music you want. And so I think that opened up a lot of ears. And in turn, I think the the thing that makes to Pimper Butterfly stand out in that regard is that Kendrick was, I mean, it's a super brave record. If you think about it, because, it was, it was, yeah. He could have made like, he followed up good kid, mad city with a super weird esoteric jazz record with a spoken word poem <laughs> woven throughout. So he could have made Good Kid, Mad City, too, but he decided to go in a totally different direction. So I think it was just this perfect storm of here's Kendrick Lamar. He is arguably the biggest rap star in the world at the time. And he's mm-hmm. he's putting out courageous art that he wants to put out. And it just worked out for him. And and couple that with the fact that you have this sort of uh, awakening of Black America in terms of, you know, Black the rise of Black Lives Matter. And you have. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Process happening and things like that. So he that record tapped into all of these different things from the cover art to the songs,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um, I think it it hit people in a deeper way because compared with uh, to the year two thousand, it was we were we were happy. Like it wasn't it wasn't a whole lot going on back then. Whereas now it, it seems like it's a whole lot of stuff happening.
2: Fair enough. Well, thank you for answering that. But we always go, you know forever shout to Midnight Marauders. You know. Yeah. I love Drive. Yeah. I actually just bought the vinyl of that a few weeks ago.
1: That's a good pickup.
0: Oh, that's so dope. But yeah, that's, that's so my
2: jazz stuff for now. I'm sure I'll bring up later, but f- for now.
0: <laughs> for sure, for sure. I just wanted to I just wanted to keep it in the canon because like it makes sense for listeners and just the conversation. But um I guess I'll move into some aspects of the book as well. Um, I wanted to talk to you about I just want to contextualise Because I feel like it will be a really good moment For listeners who are listening to the podcast Just for your opinion on the journalist and writer lens Um, So at the start of chapter 4 A star is Born Which is arguably a really pivotal chapter And just kind of describes Kendrick's real ascension And like the breaking point in his career Um, I wanted to talk about the intro to this paragraph You um, obviously said uh, you started talking about the control verse, um, which happened in 2013. I just wanted to ask you in terms of that watershed moment in his career, um, just from a rap, uh, hip hop lens and like just a competitive front, I wanted to ask you what you think that song did in the canon of his trajectory, um, yeah, in, in terms of Kendrick Lamar and what he did, and how the reaction to that, I just wanted to talk to you about that from your lens and standpoint.
1: Sure. Meaning the um, meaning the show, the uh, Pitchfork Festival show, or
0: no the the Control
1: verse. Oh, Control verse. Excuse me. I'm sorry.
0: Yes. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. My bad. The the actual Control verse and what you think that did in the the part of his career, the narrative of his career.
1: I think it. Um. I think it showed people for you know to to take a. A straightforward term. I, th- I think it showed people that it just wasn't messing around, you know, and I, and I feel that that verse is pivotal because it harkened back to old school hip hop. It harkened back to the 80s and the 90s where, you know, yeah. back then it was about like it, it would be OK to, to diss somebody because it was all about the sport. Rappers back then understood it was it was a. It was a battle sport, you know, it was like it, whether it was KRS-One and MC Shan, whether it was LL Cool J and Cool Mo D or LL Cool J and Cannabis or what have you. Yeah, it was it was all about keeping it on wax. So it's like, yo, I can if I mention your name, that's a sign of respect. You know, it's a sign of like, look, I think you're really dope at what you do. But at the same time, we can we can hang out backstage. We can hang out in the green room, but I'm trying to be the greatest. And I think that's fine. I, I think that's, you know, to sort of dip into a sports analogy, it's like the the Michael Jordan, you know, like, Yeah, sure, uh, Magic, we can we can hang out in, you know, Barcelona and play on the dream team, but I'm this is my league now. And so I think that's what that verse did. It's a lot of people took it the wrong way because he they felt. I agree. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It, it caused
0: a huge moment in yeah a huge back back of the house moment in hip hop.
1: It really did, and it, and you could tell. It, I think it it shed light on a lot of people who may not be doing it for the right reasons, or they may not have the right yes. sort of constitution. Yeah. Because if I'm if I'm a rapper who got called out on that. I'm taking it as a as a wake up call. I'm like, okay, well, first of all, I got named on this, so that means I must be doing something. Secondly, okay, yeah, maybe I do need to take inventory and step up a little bit. But yes, I thought that was that is arguably like the the moment his career shifted because he to the bravery to hop on somebody else's song and to call them out is is crazy, and I I think that. <laughs> that's one of those I think that's gonna stay with them for a while and, and rightfully so.
0: Yeah. Um I wanted to ask you as well, just a spirit off that question. Um obviously we know the song The Housing Artist was Big Sean. Which I always forget uh, about. I wanted to ask enough. you. I
2: always yeah, forget it's a yeah. big Sean
0: song. Honestly, it's not a Kendrick whole song like there's the whole J electronica and you know big sean but i wanted to ask you about big sean and i wanted to ask, i don't know if your specialty is there i don't know if you you watched, but I, I feel like you have the expertise to answer this question but i feel like um this created a real uh moment in his career as well i think the response to it um especially with rumors that he was subbing kendrick throughout the rest of his career to be honest um, how do you feel like the control verse affected Big Sean's career, if at all?
2: Good question, Nicholas.
1: That is a good, that's a really good question. Shout out to you, man. That's um, I feel like it definitely affected his career because I, you know, as much as I like I, I respect Big Sean's music, but at the same time, yeah, I do feel like he's from this new school of of hip hop where, you know, he's gonna feel a little bit ruffled, as did Drake. Oh so. yes, Drake literally. <laughs> Drake was in his feelings. Drake was <laughs> Drake, big Drake, man for a while. He still might be, and it's just like oh, you know, oh like, he, is. <laughs> he is.
0: Yeah, we'll get we'll get on Drake in a minute. We'll get on Drake in a minute.
1: Yeah, so that's the thing. So I feel like um, I feel like it's one of those where if he felt the way about the verse, one, it's your song. You didn't have to put the verse on it.
2: Tell
1: the truth. Yeah. So I never understood that. It's like okay, if you feel a way about the verse, yeah, just take the verse off. It's it's your track but he didn't and literally and kendrick took it over and um so he felt the way about it so i don't know man i I think um i know i'm gonna sound like the old fogey and whatnot but it's like yo quit being soft like it's it's nothing wrong with some some battle rap you know it's nothing wrong with it it's Mm -hmm. not as long as it doesn't go to anything physical it's okay just just let it just let it play out um but but He's not of that mindset I don't think And I I think that's sort of hampered him a little bit People saw him differently Mm -hmm. Whereas people look at Kendrick differently As like this old school hybrid of Like oh he's a new school cat But he reminds me of uh, You know He reminds me of Chuck D. He reminds me of KRS. He reminds me of that. So I think that's how, with that verse, he was able to tap in to older hip hop heads as well as current ones. A hundred
0: percent. I agree with that analogy as well. And I just think the whole back of house politics with Big Sean and stuff, I think there's some truth to that as well. Um, I definitely think that um, J. Cole, and this is being really biased because of how he acted this year, but I think that he reacted to that verse super well, and I think he's a really great sport in terms of this generation of hip-hop, in terms of that. He, when he's not in his ego and just respects the art and craft of hip-hop, it's great to watch because J. Cole is someone who's assured in what they bring to the sound um, and and their lyrical abilities, and he did that on um, Forest Hills Drive, he did that like on the start, um his, the song that tributes his birthday, of, of course. I just think that he is someone who embodies that champion spirit and the, the long game. So I think if Big Sean reacted in that way at that time, things might be a little bit different just in how how people perceive him. But you, you hinted at Drake, which I think is... Super important because I think the way I conceive or think about Drake in this three, we, we all know they're the top three, you know, J. Cole, Kendrick, um, Drake, right now, that, that might be set to change soon, but for now, we can say that. But I think with Drake, he's always kind of wanted to be the lyrical person and that harkens back to his old mixtape days and when he was building his sound in Toronto and all of that and I think the control verse like you said really got at his ego and he's still trying to compete in a game where I just don't think he quite wins when it comes to kendrick and him lyrically so i think in my analogy after that moment he was already on this trajectory but i think he started to really lean into the pop 100%, 100%. star mode. if i'm not gonna if i'm not gonna beat you if i'm not gonna beat you in the hip-hop arena which i can't i'm gonna be the all-encompassing man of pop and whether he did this knowingly or not he has now got to that position but i remember when you said drake i remember his rap radar interview which he did at christmas and he's still in this competition with drake um with j cole and kendrick um and he said we're gonna see who's gonna last this decade he said this is the time where we see who's gonna really last and i still think that mentality of i need to beat you lyrically is a part of his psyche somewhat um, so when you said Drake just now I just found that super interesting um, just looking at the three and how they've controlled hip-hop or parts of hip-hop for um, the last decade now but yeah um, where do you think Drake is in this um, in terms of his perspective now because you said you did say you think he might still feel jaded and still feel a way about that um, How how do you feel that he reacted to the to the song
1: man i think you just hit it right on the head bro i think that you know when he heard that of course i have no way of knowing that because i don't know him for sure personally but the sense that i get is that he felt the way about it partially because drake had a hand in putting kendrick on Mm. like yes before kendrick before kendrick was kendrick he Drake invited him to open up for him on tour. It was it was Drake, ASAP Rocky, and Kendrick.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And so you know if if I were to sort of you know dive into his brain and, and guess, he probably felt slighted because it's like yo man, without me, pro- people probably wouldn't know who you are. At least not right now. Or mm-hmm. you know just give me my respect for helping helping usher your career. And I think that. You know, especially in hip hop, you know, there is no love lost in hip hop. And I think he was looking at it the wrong way if that was the case. Like, again, just kind of going back to an earlier point. Well, I mean, you know, that'd be like if I'm if if somehow a diss track comes out and, and, you know, a big author writes it or (laughs) I get dissed by an author and I'm lumped in with all these (laughs) other writers. Yeah, I'm not feeling slighted by that. It's like, okay, well, I must be doing something because I made it to that group of people. And then I just take it as I take it as a sign to get better and to improve, because I think what his problem is and what a lot of people's problem is, they're competing against each other. Whereas I don't think they realize that the competition is yourself. Like and I think that's what that's what helps Kendrick stand apart is because like, Mm -hmm. yo, yes, I'm competitive, but more so more than anything. I'm I'm just trying to get better. I want I want to Pimp Butterfly to be better than Good Kid. I want damn to be better than Timber Butterfly. I'm I'm thinking about myself. I'm not thinking about what anybody else is doing and that's how TDE operates. And so with Drake, I feel like he he does what he does really well. So he he has this this sort of he knows how to tap into a social media moment. He knows how to tap into a viral moment. And spin it into a song. He knows how to um, sort of look at different genres of music and different continents Mm. and turn it into something that sort of rattles in your head. So I, I can't deny that when you go to clubs and you go to festivals or what have you, his music is ubiquitous. Um, you hear it everywhere. So yeah, I think that
2: literally everywhere. Yeah, literally. It's pop. You can't go to a You can't go to a club anywhere in the world without <laughs> hearing a Drake song. Or a Drake of Us. Well, here's
1: the crazy us. thing. The and the crazy thing to your point, I remember it was maybe a year or two ago. My wife and I went on vacation uh to Negril, Jamaica. So I'm like, okay, clearly I'm gonna hear some like authentic reggae music. No, a lot of these resorts are playing Drake. Oh yeah, the resorts. The resorts Reagan. are British.
0: Yeah, like the resorts are British in America. Like they literally will play. Yeah, Drake is their <laughs> best friend there.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I think that um, you know I I feel like after the control verse, Drake more so took on the sort of career trajectory of Jay Z, where it's like Jay Z is another one where he's super lyrical. Mm. But then once he got that first platinum record, he's like, "Well, I'm gonna go over here and make these hits, and then I'll get back to the lyrics later." And so I feel like that's what Drake is doing, where it's like, "Yeah, the early mixtapes are mad." Lyrical. But see, I don't
2: think Drake has done that though. I don't think Drake has gone back to the lyrics since. Personally. No, no, that's that might thing. have been on
0: his mind. That might have been as a hip hop head. That might have been on his mind going into this. But now he's transformed into this pop star, and the strategy is still for now working. Um but it's yeah, it's interesting to country. be honest,
2: Drake is with Sean Mendes and those other white niggas. Like he's with them to me. <laughs> he's like he's with like Sean Mendes and Housey and these other white people. He's he's there now. I don't really look at him as contemporaries of these other rappers personally.
0: No, oh, that's fair. The only thing, the one thing that the one thing that does um, bring him back to hip hop to me is just the fact that he knows what's going on culturally. That's the only kind of connection that he kind of has to hip hop off sh- and rap offshoots now. But in terms of actual hip hop lyricism and like being a part of that old school of thought, like you kind of made the analogy of old school, new school. I don't think he's there right now. Um, he's only there with the sounds. He knows what sounds are popping yeah. off.
2: Yeah, yeah, and that, and
1: that's it exactly. And and that's the thing. Like he, he, I totally agree with you. He hasn't gotten back to the lyrics yet. But all, and I also remember though that Jay Z, it took him a while to get to four four four. You know, and and records like that. So I don't know. It, it's no way to really tell. But I feel like maybe it's just one of those where he saw the money he can make being a pop star and decided to stay there. And the whole passive aggressive energy that he has towards Kendrick will just have to stay there and it won't get resolved.
0: Yeah. yeah. Did you, did you, before we go on, did you read that um piece that went viral about Drake this year? Outgrowing Drake is the generation gap we didn't predict. I don't know if you like did it, but it, it literally went super viral. Um, It was by David Dennis Jr. Um, on level i didn't
1: i didn't read that but i totally know david um but i didn't um get a chance to, to yeah. check that piece mm. out okay yeah it
0: just kind
2: of speaks about our whole conversation right now with drake but um yes chope so, so i want to go back to the book as well and what i found interesting is that although this is class's biography I, I love that how it wasn't really linear in how you told his story and his life so like i didn't expect you to open up with the whole macamore debacle so, which was obviously a very controversial event in recent history. Mm. So what I wanted to ask was, why did you want to start the book that way? And secondly, do you think that was the catalyst to the artist we have now? Do you think we wouldn't have got Pimper Butterfly, Untitled, Damn, Black Panther, if it wasn't for that? Because I kind of compare it to when Michael Jackson lost all those awards for Off The Wall and came out with Thriller. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so,
2: I want to know. So, why do you, why was that such an important place to start the book with?
1: Because I, I felt that that was um, that was a high moment of drama, of early drama in his career. Because even when you when you study Kendrick Lamar's trajectory before Good Kid, Mad City, he was ramping up for Good Kid, Mad City long before he ever even recorded a note for it. So, even as he's uh, recording the Kendrick Lamar EP and the uh, overly dedicated uh, mixtape. Um, he, you know, in interviews, he's talking about uh, like, yo, like my debut album is going to be this thing called good kid, mad city. I already got the cover for it. It's going to tell my story. And so I remember, I, I think back to that time. And I remember that, you know, there was this sort of groundswell towards that, you know, especially given songs like swimming pools and backseat freestyle and all of that. And, um, so, you know, there was just this notion and it was probably flawed thinking on on my part and everybody else's part where like, oh, clearly this is the best rap album and it's going to win a Grammy. Not even realizing that the Grammys don't really honor records like that. At least not right away. They always got to go back and catch the artists. Maybe when they didn't make their best work, that's the one that wins album of the year. And yeah. I think that that was a pivotal moment because I wanted to make sure that You know, at least as a journalist, I wrote it. I wrote it like an 80,000 word article, so to speak. So I kind of saw that as my lead. I saw that as like, hey, here's recent history that happened. And to your question, to your great point, it totally was a big catalyst in um, how he became who he became. So, you know, he, he loses that. He puts on a good face. But then he also has has this amazing performance with the Imagine Dragons.
2: Mm-hmm, and uh, mm-hmm.
1: that puts him on stage. and that puts him on a grand platform. But then I think you're right. I think that without that moment, without that moment of public humility, there would be no Tipper Butterfly. But I also have to credit. I have to credit his trip to South Africa because. Yes. Yeah, yes. Because he didn't just, you know, stay in the touristy areas like he was taking in all sorts of stimuli. And so I think it's it's like anything with him, man. I think it was just a combination of factors. And so, you know, you have, you have the loss. You know, you have the whole, oh, I, I, I robbed you, bro. I'm sorry I did that, yada, yada. You had all of that nonsense he had to deal with. Coupled with um, him being in South Africa, and that sort of shifted his mentality to more of a sort of an insular sort of approach where I'm not worried about what anybody else is doing. I just got to worry about making the best records for me and even if people don't understand what i'm going for right now maybe you'll get it five years from now 10 years from now 20 years from now and i wanted to approach my book in the same way so i'm really glad that you that you noticed that no it's not the traditional celebrity bio where page one oh kendrick was born in this hospital and then page 250 is him with the pulitzer i wanted to you know bringing all this different context and and i feel like him that yes i'm thankful that people are so are, are totally into it now but i also wrote it for future generations where 10 and 20 years from now when people want to look back at the history they can find all kinds of history in there and not just kendrick's history
2: well thank you for answering nick
0: <laughs> that that was a that was a really good um answer as well i think that context is so important as well um on that debate and i think that was again the rationale for featuring it in the beginning is so crucial because i think that that is looking on his whole career to date that is a crucial crucial part of it and to start in that way was really dope so i appreciated that as well
2: yeah it was one of his first high profile controversies yeah. if you will yeah
0: exactly exactly um i wanted to go to another big award moment and just ask your perspective on this as well um so obviously you highlighted um kendrick lamar um and the bet award performance um i wanted to um ask you in terms of his his trajectory with that song um in that moment, I just wanted to ask, like, and protest songs as well. Like we've seen what um what all right has done in terms of protest moments. Um, I just wanted to ask, yeah, in the lineage of Kendrick Lamar's career, how big a stamp do you think that song is? And in terms of what you think, do you think that will be his legacy, like a part of his legacy, like a strong part of his legacy, or do you think there are other bigger songs, um, in the canon. Cause the way you spoke about it, um, I just want, it was really like a a pivotal moment in this as well. Um, so yeah, I wanted to ask what formed your perspective around that as well.
1: Yeah. I I think that when we look back, when we fully look back at his career, maybe another, you know, decade or two decades from now, I feel like that's going to be the biggest song in his catalog because, it, it touched so many people, whereas maybe it didn't it didn't shoot to the top of the billboard charts or anything like that. But again, it goes back to the timing yes. where it came out at a time where we needed a protest anthem because black Americans were being gunned down by police at like an alarming rate. So we needed something. So I think that when I think about all right. You know, just and just a quick aside, like we were talking about Afropunk earlier, uh, <laughs> that Afropunk along with that song was one of the main reasons why we moved to Brooklyn, New York, because I remember it was uh, it was 20. I want to say it was 2015 or 2016. We're just kind of hanging out, but, you know, in between sets and that song comes on and literally everybody on the field w- w- was singing it in unison, singing that chorus in unison. And I was like, man, like, we, all right, this is a, this is, I got to be around this all the time. You know, I, I got to be up here with that.
2: See, that's what I wanted. <laughs> I see Corona.
1: <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I know, man, maybe next year, hopefully next Probably year. Probably
2: 2022, to be honest.
1: <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. But yeah, I think that, you know, that's going to be the song. Which says a lot, right? Because, I mean, he's come out with so much stuff. His B-sides are amazing. The Mm A-sides are are stellar. Mm -hmm. But all right is just that thing where, you know, shout out to those uh, protesters in Cleveland. They were the first ones who, you know, after they got that boy um, in touch with his mom who was about to get arrested, they started walking through the streets chanting, we're going to be all right. And then it just sort of blew up from there yeah
0: i remember the visual i literally remember it seeing it on social media and just you know when the penny drops when you're like oh of course that would be a protest song like of course that would be a song
2: and i think that says it all because you may not well obviously we're in the uk but i mean in terms of us radio you may not have heard it on the radio all day it may not have streamed that much i don't even think it went top 40 on billboard but it was playing in the streets the people the community was playing that song like it was number one single even though it wasn't on iHeart or whoever hot 97 or whatever so i do i agree with you i definitely think that it's probably going to be his signature song like some would say you know swing Pools" or humble or whatever but nah, yeah i think yeah. all right will be that song and i think we said so about the protest and its role in that it's yeah it really tells it off very nicely and i love how our conversation is leading into my questions so nicely so <laughs> my next question You've spoken about Kendrick as an artist and his musicality, but obviously a big part of your book is about how he's kind of like this, in some ways, like this figure that Black Americans look up to, you know, the voice of young Black Americans. So obviously, and you, you mentioned it in the book as well, he made that controversial comment about respectability politics in Billboard like five years ago or something where he said, but but when we don't respect, have respect for ourselves, how do you expect them to respect us? So how do you reconcile those comments to the way he's positioned and framed in in our community?
1: I feel like um, I feel like that's the moment where you notice he started to pull back on interviews because I mean, I, I also didn't want to give him a pass for comments like that. Um, and so I think the thing that, the thing that saves Kendrick is that he says stuff like that and it has a big moment on social media. But social media moves so quickly that you know as you all know you get mad at somebody and then 10 minutes later we're all mad at something else and then the next day we're all mad at another thing i think he saved himself by honestly just creating really good music and pulling back from interviews and just putting it all in the art yeah. um so i think that's what sort of saved him from those comments. And I remember those comments and and I remember sort of bristling like everybody else, like, Oh, respectability politics from this guy. Like, come on, man. Like it, it was disappointing and as positive as the book was or is rather, I couldn't shy away from that. There was no way I could shy away from the fact that he said that. And you know, the, the, the vitriol was what it was. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like, you know within his discography the fact that he could he said that and he sort of atoned for it through the music as much as he could and uh and i also think that's part of the reason why you don't hear from him now is because he's had a couple of gaffes like that where he'll say a thing trying to articulate his point it doesn't come off well and as a result you know people don't just take the comments in a vacuum they'll take it out on his music and he's just sort of pulled back and and kept it to the to the album. So like as you all know, you don't hear from him until he has a a, a project to promote, and even then he may yeah. do like one or two interviews, and he's back yep. in the cave. So I, Yep,
2: and you and you said the same thing about D'Angelo Black Messiah in the book.
1: Yeah, the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Talking D'Angelo back. just kind of shows up when he has a, a when he's dropping a classic, and then he goes right back to where he was going. <laughs> Pretty much.
0: Yeah, like that's crazy. It's crazy as well. Um, I wanted to go back really quickly, just to the process point um, made before about alright. Um, And I just wanted to ask you your thoughts, if any, um, on obviously Little Baby now has taken over that kind of um, baton with the bigger picture and what's happened in the lights of Atlanta and it being used as a protest song um, in the recent hyper visibility or resurgence in Black Lives Matter um, in this phase of it. Um, I wanted to ask you what you thought about, um, so he made some comments, um, recently in one of his interviews, um, I, I believe it was GQ, might've been GQ, um, where he was like, he's not making any more politically charged, um, things anymore and he's not a political artist and all that kind of stuff. Do you feel like all of these statements about like hip hop and stuff and it being like, there's a subgenre like political rap, conscious rap, all of that kind of stuff. I wanted to ask, do you feel like rap is political inherently, or there is distinctions in genres? Like would you call a Kendrick Lamar, for example, like a conscious rapper, as like some people call him and like J. Cole and stuff? Or would you just say in the hip hop canon, um, it's it's all political now?
1: Um, I would I would definitely and, and I realized that, you know, it's this is a sensitive thing, but I would call Kendrick a conscious rapper because he's talking about things that we need to be. He he, he discusses topics and things, whether it's politics, whether it's survivor's guilt or depression or, or what have you. Yes. He's talking about these things in a brave way. And I think that in and of itself is very conscious because he's given us stuff that we didn't know we needed until we got it. And and I think that's what makes him stand out. But I guess also, you know, it just for labeling and marketing purposes, right. People will call him a conscious rapper because then it becomes, you know, if it, if it wasn't a pandemic and you had to sell tickets, it's like, Oh, Hey, if you like this kind of rap, you're going to like Kendrick or you're going to like J Cole, but just, you know, standing out just as a fan and an author and a writer and all of this, I think it's all just hip hop, man. And I think it it goes back to, I think now, current day hip hop, at least to me, reminds me of the hip hop that I grew up on. And it reminds me of the radio that I used to listen to because, you know, back then you had variation. So it was nothing to hear the latest Wu Tang song on the radio, but then you'd hear the latest P-D- Puff Daddy song. Then you'd hear Biggie song. you hear all this different stuff going on at the same time. So, I feel like, you know, the whole these terms of, okay, this person's a political rapper, this person's a conscious rapper. I think it applies for sure. But in the grander scheme of things, I think it's just hip hop and they're just they're they're responding the best way they can by talking about issues that they know. So, you know, in in the case of Lil Baby, it's like, yeah, I'm gonna come up with this political song because this is how I'm feeling in the moment. But then I may also come out with this um, this club happy song because that's how I feel, too. You know, so I feel like I always and I know I'm guilty of it as a journalist where, you know, this is art rap versus this is conscious rap, whatever. But I do feel like we've we've reached a, a moment where you can come out with any sort of hip hop and you can have any sort of mood at any time. And it all works and it all makes sense. Um, I will say, though, that given the political climate and the current climate, especially this past June, with the killing of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery. Yes. I do think certain people have a responsibility to reflect what's going on and not and not just be in the club. It's okay to have an escape. But I do feel like you have to reflect what's happening at the same time, because again, this is history. Like this is not just a song. You shouldn't be making songs just for the moment. You should be making songs that people can go back to a decade and 20 years from now and still get something from it.
0: Yeah, like um, someone in the beginning of the pandemic, actually, I follow and I just love this woman like Carly Hustle. She's at Apple Music. Um she made that same point like what are rappers trying to do like just fast release these projects during the pandemic that really aren't speaking to the moment and like what's going on so that point that you just made literally reminded me of a point she made I think in like April May um of like yeah we we need to regardless it could be a trap song like even little baby and his song like what he made you can make a song in your sonic bag like whatever kind of uh production that you want to have the backing on but like at least the topic focus i think it's super important to kind of tell the stories of the time especially with the hyper visibility and return um of well it didn't really go anywhere but the high, the high profile kind of white reporting whatever of, of black lives matter um so i i agree with your point 110 percent there um shopping
2: um so I wanna move on to something else. So as I mentioned earlier, I really liked that this wasn't a traditional biography. And one thing that was really cool was that you interviewed friends, family, collaborators, people that actually know him or knew him. You even interviewed one of his school teachers who taught him poetry, which I found really, really cool. So I wanted to know like, how? what was the process of getting in contact with those guys and has Kendrick himself said anything about the book? Is he aware? I'm sure he knows, but have you heard anything from him?
1: <laughs> oh yeah, no, they, they that was the first call. That was the first email uh, in 2018 was to TDE. Um, and the thing about it, I knew early on that I wasn't gonna get him or I wasn't gonna get TDE. And it wasn't, it was all love. It was just that they're so insular and they, and they move in such a private way that um they're not really gonna get involved with anything uh like that so it's like hey they did this thing where like hey even though you're not gonna you're probably not gonna get the main guy but we're not gonna stand in the way you know they just kind of said no we're good but we we look forward to what you got to do or what you're doing um so they totally have known about it i haven't heard from him directly but i but as far as the book is concerned it um it's been celebrated by two of his collaborators in particular. Like I I did a talk a couple of nights ago with Robert Glasper and Terrace Martin, and both of them were like, oh man, we need this. Like, this is important. A young black man writing about another young black man. We need that. So I think that kind of helped me out because before then, yeah, I mean, I had self-doubt like crazy. Like, man, this isn't, it's not linear. People are not going to understand what I'm doing. It's people are going to think this is me. You know, I just I had this running dialogue in my head that man, it's going to come out, and people are not going to be into it. Um, but yeah, I, I just I made it a point to to reach out to people deep in the liner notes. Um, so you know that's why you have like Ryan Porter's in there, and you have Miles Mosley, and 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 all these people who were on to Pepper Butterfly that were deep in the sessions. And honestly, man, it was um, it wasn't so hard because thankfully I've been covering music for a decade plus. So a lot of this was just emails and it was friends of friends. You know, yeah. people found out I was yeah. writing a book and they were like, oh, you should talk to this person who knows that other person. And in the case of Layla Hathaway, um, that was a text. That was me texting Fonte. And, you know, me, me saying. As you
2: do. Just text Fonte as you
1: do. <laughs> yeah, so he was just like, "Oh yeah, give me five minutes." <laughs> he was just like, "Give me five minutes," and then he comes right back. Is like, "Hey, here's Leo's number. She she's waiting for your call." It's like, "Man, what?" Like, I love that. I love that. Yeah, so it was just, and that's the thing. Like, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm just saying we love it.
2: Keep
1: going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so that was the thing. I, you know, when you when you've been covering music for a long time, you start to develop this creative community that coalesces around people you've covered you know so because they thankfully they respect your work and so when you're doing some this level of creativity of course they're gonna look out robert glasper was looking out and everybody so that's how it came about man like um you know to, to to steal what i've been saying earlier it's just like even though it's my name on the front of the book it wouldn't be nothing without all the people within it so i just see it like you know songs in the key of life like yeah this is one person on the front but when you open the liner notes you see wow herbie was on here dizzy gillespie and all this this book is the same Come
2: on yes you better reference that fantastic <laughs> flawless album yes right so i, I educate these children
1: this, <laughs> i operated in that same exact way in the you know going back to the whole makai McCraven reference like yeah it's him But look at all those people who who are on it. And so that's, I wanted the butterfly effect to be the same exact way.
2: Right. So I have two quick questions before we go. Nick, do you have anything else?
1: I do.
0: I do. I have two questions as well. They'll be really quick because they're interrelated. Um, I'll just, I just wanted to read a quick quote. Um, and just talk about this particular aspect of Kendrick's career. It's the kind of latter years and where we're at now. Um, so, close to the end of the book, you said that Dam was um, a culmination of Section 80, Good Kid, Mad City, and a Butterfly, um, and was the most fully realized dissection of spirituality that he'd read. Re- released, sorry. Before Damn, Kendrick was still in the world, still very much a rap star forging his path. With this album, he became something else, almost a mythical being or a supernova. No, he wasn't perfect. And yes, he was still very much a flawed human being, but he radiated a different energy. Um, it was almost regal. Damn marked the first time that Kendrick introduced an alter ego to his music, which was Kung Fu Kenny. Um, I wanted to talk to you about um Kendrick pivoting into this next era of his music where you know um he's almost a super um he's almost um an alter ego sorry of himself um and there's even rumors that um he's got a new um alter ego um coming in his next um music as well um and also that like baby keem his cousin might be an alter regrow of himself as well there's so many conversations that have sprouted up um, and post down as well i wanted to talk to you about yeah him including an alter ego in his music now and what you think that's done to his music um whether it's elevated it kept it the same um you seem to suggest that it's an amalgamation of everything um in dam um so just unpack that a little bit more for
1: yeah us. I-, I feel like especially in the case of Kendrick or in the the case of anybody who's put in those 10,000 hours, after a while, when you've spent so much time with the thing, whether it's writing, whether it's music, fine arts, what have you, after a while, you kind of become that thing, you know, like it's, it's, it's ingrained in you. And so I feel like that's what, what Kendrick is reaching right now, where it's like, he's put out all these great records. He's put out classics and stuff that, um, warrants a book being written about it And he now Is trying to tap into A different level of creativity That maybe he hasn't even done before Like I, I remember I can't remember exactly when it was Maybe it was like a month or two ago When there were a couple of tracks that leaked And there was one song in particular where like he was rapping from the perspective of the speech of the I have a dream speech like <laughs> that's on some other some other other like he wasn't rapping from the perspective of the person, you know, of Dr. King. He was rapping from the perspective of the the art itself. And I I think this is him trying to push himself. I, I And I think that he even he would agree with this, that while he's pushing himself to this new level of creativity, he's not doing anything that hasn't been done for years and years and years, you know, like he's just, um, he's just um, sort of a continuation of, you know, hit, hit, of like NWA and of Tupac and all of that. So I feel like him creating an alter ego is his way of trying to discuss other topics and discuss other forms of art that he hasn't discussed before Then maybe he, Because he's still a shy dude. So maybe he's still not super comfortable putting himself all the way out there, which is why sometimes he'll rap about certain things, he'll rap about spirituality, but he cloaks it in these different levels of art and creativity. You don't know whether he's rapping from his perspective or somebody else's perspective. And I think he does that on purpose. And I feel like this is just another way for him to honestly write about things and to rap about things that he may not be totally be comfortable with. Like, you know, he's still the the shy kid from Compton where, you know, he's in Mr. Inge's class and he's not comfortable sharing his poetry. You know, I I think this is just him in his mid thirties, still trying to figure out how to project his own voice because now the stakes are so much higher. Anything that he does, it's gonna be, you know, it's it's front page news, and it's an immediate review on every site. So, he's trying to, you know, sort of shade himself from, you know, just the the, the sort of searing criticism that maybe he would get, and just you know, just kind of keep himself a little more insular uh, as much as humanly possible.
0: That's really interesting. Um, and then the final question that I have, um, really quickly is where do we see Kendrick Lamar cuz obviously there was big rumors of his album coming out this year and I strongly still believe that that was a thing um before the pandemic but um where do you feel like Kendrick should go well maybe not should go but where do you see Kendrick exploring next
2: well apparently he's exploring rock music
0: that's what i heard that's what i heard as well but i just wanted to get your take on it um just because he's done so much um, in the years that he's been active. Um, I've rattled my brain about it and haven't come to a fully defined conclusion yet, but I just wanted to see if you have um, in terms of where we should see him next.
1: I could see him getting back to basics. Like if I were to guess, because he listens to a lot of a lot of different art, um, he takes in a lot of different stimuli. So if I were to guess, I could see him Doing just sort of a boom bap like, you know, DJ Premier on some cuts, Pete Rock on some cuts. Um, oh, obviously shame. um Soundwave was all over it and whatnot. I see it being more of a straightforward hip hop record. Not so cloaked in mystery and, and all these different things. I could see it being more of a straightforward like, hey, this is me. This is where I'm at right now. Because quite honestly, like you said, he said it all. He he's I don't know where else he could go after what he what he's put out already. Yeah. So if I were to guess, I would say it's going to be more of a straightforward, like on some like Griselda Records type stuff or. Oh, shoot.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, I could see that. But at the same time, I could also see him. Um, I don't know if you all heard this record by this cat named Pink Seafood. It's called Negro. And, you know, it's like this searing collection of like mm. um, Sun Ra Jazz meets punk rock meets hip hop. I can see him doing something like that too, just sort of like this this culmination of all different kinds of things over a thirty or forty minute period. I think the next project also is going to be a lot more streamlined than his uh, previous work. Okay, oh,
0: that's dope. I've just added that project. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely going to give that a play.
1: Yes, say that again.
2: I want to type that myself.
1: Um, Pink Sifu. Um, last name is um S I I F U and the first name pink and um the the name of the album is called negro the cover is him uh it's a painted caricature of him underneath an american flag
2: okay I'm gonna save that to spotify now cool right so I uh, so nick you're done yeah yeah done okay so i have uh two last questions so um so Who's another artist you would like to write about extensively in such a way? Like, if you are going to do another book, who would another? Who's another artist that you'd like to focus on?
1: Well, um, I already have my uh my next deal locked in, and the next book is about De La Soul.
2: Interesting. Yeah. Okay.
1: It's called okay. It's called High and Rising. Um, you know, taken mm-hmm. from the title, three feet high and rising, and it's a similar deal where. It's about them, but it's also about, like, Long Island. It's about hippie culture. It's about, you know, obviously the Tommy Boy deals and things like that. So that's the next book. Um, Honestly, like, after that, like, I would love to write a book about Pharoah Sanders. Um, I would love to write a book about Alice Coltrane. Uh, uh, I think there's a Yassin Bey book to be written.
2: Mm okay um
1: i think i think there's a documentary to be done about the soul aquarians I, you know yes I, yeah. yes
2: yes i've said this a thousand times quest love you need to get this together
1: <laughs> i get yes.
2: they, they need to document 999 to 2000 electric lady you need, we need a whole a whole thing
1: about it i totally agree and i think that could that should be the name of the doc they should just call it electric lady and then boom, and then it's about the Soul Aquarians.
2: Okay, these are great answers. I think Alice Coltrane's, that's a definitely, definitely someone. That's someone, once again, who I feel is such an unheralded talent. Mm-hmm. Such an unheralded talent. Kind of like how Betty Davis isn't spoken about compared to Miles. So like, I'm glad you said that. Uh, but my final question, you know, nice and easy. Well, not nice and easy, but you know, obviously we spoke about Kendrick all this time. So I want to know your favorite Kendrick song, favorite Kendrick video, Favorite Kendrick album and Favorite Kendrick
1: performance.
2: You <laughs> can end it there. We can
1: end it there. Okay. Favorite song. My favorite song of his is Mama. Uh track nine off of To Pimper Butterfly. And
2: man off to my own heart. That's probably my favorite song on Pimper Butterfly too. I
1: love that. Shout out the knowledge. That beat is crazy.
2: Yes! knowledge is honestly honestly i am a massive knowledge fan he is one of the best producers we have right now he is one of the and a dj too i was from dj like three years ago he's insane yeah he's 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 incredible madness
1: i don't think he i mean we love the no worries project but we don't talk enough about the beats that he gave anderson for that
2: no no knowledge is dope he's
1: dope but yeah so no that's my favorite song my favorite video is the all right video um Because I still need that song that they were, that he was rapping when they were all being carried in the car. (laughs) It's like, dude, I need, even if I don't hear from them directly, it's like, yo, okay, let's just, just send me the song. Like, (laughs) just send me a link. I need, I need to hear that full version of that track. Um, Favorite performance is the 2016 Grammy performance. Okay. Um, The one where he uh, performed. Um, all right, and he performed like three different tracks. The Black of the Berry and Terrace Martin was playing the saxophone in the in the jail cell. That one. Mm-hmm. Um, favorite album yeah. without question is the Pimper Butterfly. I mean, I'm such a jazz head and I love the, yeah. the orchestration that's going on in that record that I still go back to it and I'm like, man, this is just this is just it for me. So I think that would be uh my answers for all of the top K dots. Great.
2: Great stuff. Okay. Well, thank you, sir, for taking the time to speak with us today. We really appreciate it. This has been an incredible conversation. I've I've really enjoyed talking to you.
0: It really has. It really has. Um, it's been the hi- it's been one of the highlights of the season so far, to be honest. One thousand percent. Such 1000%. such a fruitful discussion. Um, so thank you. Um, for being here, Marcus. Thank you so much. Um, if you want to get into the book, guys, this is called um the Kendrick. I mean, how Kendrick Lamar ignited the soul of Black America: The Butterfly Effect. It is out now go Go get it Go, uh, go and read that there's a lot of great tidbits and great chapters in here that really contextualize aspects of kendrick lamar's career some great people features as well um we were lucky enough to get a copy of the book so it's dope um, this has been another episode of Don't Let the Stands. You are here again with Chope Southern and Nicholas Terrell, Scott. Um, we obviously again are joined by Marcus J. Moore, an incredible journalist as well as book, um, author now. So it's great working on more books in the future too. So yes, like, rate subscribe the pod to the podcast and share with friends um we've had an incredible surge of new followers and listeners this month so we just want to continue that momentum and yes this has been episode eight of donor at the stands i hope you guys have enjoyed and we will be back again next week take care guys